0: Section 58 of Lay Down Your Arms, this is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by DeRando. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 14, Part 3. On the following day, the betrothal was celebrated My father offered no opposition. I should have thought that his hatred of the Prussians would have made it impossible for him to receive into his family a hostile warrior and a victor, but whether it was that he separated altogether the individual question from the national, a common method of action, for one often hears people protest, I hate them as a nation, not as individuals. Though there is no sense in it, no more sense than if one were to say, I hate wine as a drink, but I swallow each drop with pleasure. Still, a phrase need not be rational in order to be popular. Quite the contrary. Or whether it was that ambition got the upper hand and an alliance with the princely house flattered him. Or finally, that the sudden love of the young folks so romantically expressed touched him. In short, he said yes and with seeming heartiness, Aunt Mary was less disposed to agree. Impossible, was her first exclamation. The prince is surely of the Lutheran sect. But in the end, she comforted herself with the consideration that Rosa would probably convert her husband. The deepest resentment it awoke was in Otto's heart. How would you like it, he said, supposing the war was to break out again that I should chase my brother-in-law out of the country? But to him also the famous theory of the difference between nation and individual was explained, and to my astonishment, for I could never understand it, he understood it. How quickly and easily does one in happy circumstances forget the misery one has gone through? Two pairs of lovers, or if I may venture to say so, three, for Frederick and I... The married ones were not much less in love with each other than the betrothed. Well, so many pairs of lovers in the little company gave an air of felicity to everything. For the next day or two, Schlotz-Gramitz was an abode of cheerfulness and worldly enjoyment. I, too, gradually felt the pictures of terror of the past weeks fading out of my remembrance. It was not without reproaches of conscience that I became aware how my compassion, which had been so burning a short time since, was at some moments quite gone. It is true that sounds of mourning still came pealing from the world without the complaints of people who in the war had lost goods or money or lives of those dear to them. Accounts of threatened financial catastrophes, of the outbreak of pestilence, It was said that the cholera had shown itself among the Prussian troops. A case had even been reported in our village, but only a doubtful one. It is true. It might be diarrhea, which occurs every summer, was the consolatory remark. Let us only chase away troubled thoughts and anxious fears with, It is nothing, or It has passed over, or It will not come. All this is so easy to say. All that is wanted is a vigorous shake of the head and the unpleasant facts are gone. I say, Martha, said the happy fiancé to me one day, this war was indeed a horrible thing, and yet I must bless it. Without it, should I ever have been so immeasurably happy as I am now? Should I ever have had the opportunity of making Henry's acquaintance? And as to him, would he ever have found a bride to love him so? Very well, dear Rosa, I shall be happy to share this view of it with you. Let your two hearts made happy be weighed against the many thousands of hearts that have been broken. But it is not only individual destinies that are concerned, Martha. In the gross and on the whole war also brings great gain to those who conquer and therefore to a whole nation. You must hear Henry talk on that subject. He says Prussia shines out grandly. In the army, universal exultation reigns, and enthusiastic thankfulness and love for the generals who have led it to victory. And in this way, there arises for German civilization, for commerce, or perhaps, he said, for the prosperity of Germany. I have forgot the exact term. It's historical mission. In short, you should hear him talk himself. Why does not your fiancé prefer to speak of your love rather than of political and military matters. Oh, we speak about everything, and everything he says sounds like music in my ears. I feel that it is so good for him that he is proud and happy to have joined in fighting out this war for his king and country, and carried away for himself so dear a sweetheart as his booty, I added to finish her sentence. His future son-in-law suited my father very well, and who would not have been pleased with such a grand young man? Still, he gave him his sympathy and his blessing with all kinds of protestations and restrictions. You are dear to me in every respect, dear Rose, as a man and as a soldier and as a prince. This is what he said to him repeatedly and in various modes of speech. But as a Prussian officer, of course, I reserve to myself the right, despite any family connection, of wishing for nothing so much as a future war, in which Austria may pay back handsomely the present victory snatched from her. The political question must be separated altogether from the personal. My son will one day, God grant that I may live to see it, take the field against the Prussian state. I myself, if I were not too old, and if my emperor were to summon me to it, would at once accept a command to fight William I., and especially his overbearing Bismarck. This does not prevent me from recognizing the military virtues of the Prussian army and the strategic science of its leaders, and from thinking it quite a matter, of course, that in the next campaign you, at the head of your battalion, should try to storm our capital and set fire to the house in which your father-in-law lives. In short, in short, said I, one day breaking in on a rhapsody of this kind, Confusions in terms and inconsistencies of fact twine round each other like the infusoria in a putrefying drop of water. It is always so when you pin up together conceptions repugnant to each other. To hate the whole and love its parts. To want to have one way of thinking as members of a nation and another as a man. That will not do. It must be one thing or another. So I approve of the Indian chief's way of looking at it. He entertains for the adherent of a different tribe, as to which he does not even know that it consists of individuals. No other wish than to scalp him. But my dear girl, Martha, such savage feelings do not suit the stage of our civilization, which has grown more cultured and more humane. Rather say that our present stage of civilization does not suit the savagery which has come down to us from old times. As long as this savagery, that is, so long as the spirit of war is not cast out, our much valued humanity cannot be looked on as reasonable. For surely now, as to the speech you made just now, in which you assured Prince Henry that you would love him as a son-in-law and hate him as a Prussian, value him dearly as a man, and abominate him as an officer, that you give him your paternal blessing with pleasure, and at the same time allow him the right, in given circumstances, of firing on you. Forgive me, my dear father, but will you really uphold this as reasonable? What are you saying? I do not catch a word. The favorite deafness had again come on at the right moment. End of section fifty eight